ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Ladies and gentlemen, back from hiatus. Yes, it's been a while, but this is the return of the Dome Patrol here on Hard to Paint with David Grubb. And it's my pleasure to welcome back my friend, my brother, my colleague, the verified member of Blue Check Nation, <laughs> the one and only Ross Jackson. Ross, how you doing, my man? What's going on, man? Glad to be back here with you. So good to see you and so good to see you. I'm really, really uh, appreciative of our time together always. So I'm glad that we're back on it here. But uh, I got to be honest, it was I, I, I did get some rest, though. I did get some rest, so I do appreciate that. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's 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 the off season, so we got to make sure your condition stays up. You know, right. so if we get to the grind, we don't want to. You only got so many snaps in you. You're damn right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if we're gonna take a break, save you up. This was the time to do it. This was it. This is it. And boy, we have a lot to go through now too. We got a draft class. We yes. got some schedule leaks yes. going on, man. It's it, it's a great time. The, the NFL season just gets more 365 every single year, man. It's wild. It's a competition between the NFL and the NBA right now For to real. see who can get as many spots in off times. Yep. Draw as much television um, notice and attention as possible during these down times of, of non-game being non uh, games not being played. But what's weird too is the players are so much more engaged in this drama as well. It's not just an administrative thing because of social media. Players get to talk about these topics throughout the off season as well. So their comments become part of the news cycle. Mm-hmm. And when you look at this, let's just start with the biggest thing going on personnel wise is the Aaron Rodgers saga. Yeah. Because that does tie into what the saints and what saints fans certainly are paying attention, but with Rodgers dominating and saying, basically you got reports of people saying that Aaron Rodgers is already recruiting people to for an unknown destination. Him. How wild is that? I, like, I don't just take a moment to appreciate that's happening somewhere else. Right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh. what are your thoughts just on that? Because that to me, I've never really heard a player out and out say. Not only it's one thing to say I don't want to be here, and we all right. knew that Rogers didn't want to be there, and, it, and those seeds were sown last year, if yeah. not before that. I mean, there always there's always been some kind of tenuous relationship between the front office and Aaron Rodgers. It yeah. just has and, never been perfect there. No, no, far from, far from. And it's only gotten worse, of course, and more cantankerous over these last few years, which I think is the appropriate word to use for Aaron Rodgers. He is very cantankerous. Uh, but honestly, like, it, it's it's a wild thing. But just spe- to the specific point about recruiting other players to go with you somewhere is <laughs> just insane. Because what you're literally saying to other players on the roster as the leader and face of the franchise is that I would rather be literally anywhere else than right here and you should too right because it's not oh well look i'm thinking about it's not even it it's not better but it's kind of better if he was at least saying like all right my plan is what i want to do is go to i want to go to the 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 rams whatever Mm -hmm. right like i want to go to las vegas i want to go to the raiders and then trying to recruit players to come with him to a an individual but when you're literally saying 
wherever I go. <laughs> it's going to be better than here. And I want you to come with me, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, whoever it is, you know. Uh, that's that's an insanely specific amount of hatred toward your environment. <laughs> yeah, it's, this insane. isn't Tom Brady being in Tampa and calling Gronk. Right. And saying, dude, you know, you got right. some like football I'm already in here. Yeah, yeah. You know, and even with their, his, you know, trying to get, um, you know, s- still more guys from his New England days and maybe convince them to go down to Tampa Bay. He's still trying to do that. That's that's different. Yeah. Like yeah. Rogers is literally like saying, we gonna form our own band. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he. <laughs> right. I mean, literally, he's right. t- he's trying to take the band. Right. In the middle of the show, and he's like, it, I, "We don't have a label. We ain't got no group name. <laughs> we'll go independent if we have to. It's right? better than this. It's better than this. I'm tired of being in this group. I don't want to be in this group. I'm gonna start my own band. Y'all coming with me? Like he, uh, and this ain't even Jerry Maguire in it because it's not really principle. Right. It's not like he had a revelation in the morning. It was like this isn't the way I want to live. What right. he's saying is, I just don't give a damn. I don't care about rules. I don't care about decorum." I'm Aaron Rodgers, and I don't think he thinks he's bigger than the league. What he's saying is, I've done enough that I can command my more say, and that my name gives me enough leverage to pull this off. And he might be right, though. He might be. He might be. Yeah. And I mean, you know, for the for the Packers, there should be no rush to do this because obviously they lose a ton of money. I mean, it's thirty three million dollars in dead cap if they trade him away. If they go post June one, they can cut that in half. And then sort of defer the second half of that to the to the next season, which kind of puts it around you know seventeen million dollars that way, which is still not great. Like that's still not m- manageable by any means. But you know, the thing that's really interesting about all this is that no matter what happens for the Green Bay Packers here, they're in a pretty bad situation. They're a pretty bad situation, not just with Aaron Rodgers, but now they've kind of worked themselves into a corner when it comes to Jordan Love because they've openly expressed interest in giving Aaron Rodgers a long-term contract, meaning that they're not really interested in putting Jordan Love out on the field during his rookie deal, um, which would give Jordan Love an opportunity to prove himself before signing a new contract, which is why that's important. They've also openly said Jordan Love's not ready to be the starting quarterback. So you either put yourself in a situation to where you're dealing with, I'll use the word again, this cantankerous quarterback and Aaron Rodgers who would literally rather be anywhere else or you foiled this relationship that you could have built with your, your future quarterback and Jordan Love in your attempts to keep Aaron Rodgers and placate him and make him happy. So there's no winning for Green Bay out of any of this even if they keep Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I guess the only winning is that you keep Aaron Rodgers and hopefully he has this great season and you end up benefiting off of that in 2021. Obviously, there's that possibility. But outside of that, I mean, your future with this franchise is in massive, is under a massive microscope no matter what, internally and externally, moving forward, regardless of what happens in 2021. Yeah, this isn't far of Rodgers. Right. Where you had... Right you know, the ability to let Favre go because mm-hmm. his contract was at the, the end of its run and you could make that decision. And you also were able to trade Favre away for to the Jets to get assets. Love isn't ready. Like you said, I don't think that they feel particularly confident in him either. It doesn't feel like the team is, the players around him are very confident that he could come in and do something. And then what makes it even harder for the Packers is there's nobody now that you can go out and get. 
there's not a quarterback on the market. And that's when you come back to the Saints and people say this, you know, wanting the Saints to make a deal for Rodgers. Yeah. What's in the pack? What's in the Packers best interest to take from the Saints? There's right. nothing there that I would want. There's nothing on the table because either you're offering me expensive players or players who are about to be very expensive mm-hmm. because they're um, about to become free agents. Or you're offering me quarterbacks that I don't want because I'm not taking right. Taysom Hill from you. I'm not taking Jameis Winston from you. What you're not, there's nothing the Saints have in my mind that's going to make the Packers say that's who we want to deal with. Yeah, no, I mean, outside of unloading a bunch of future picks and everything, which is dangerous to do because we have to remember that Aaron Rodgers is not young by any means. I mean, we're not talking about trading for a 29, 28, 27 year old quarterback here. We're talking about somebody that's 30 plus at this point. And so, you know, we've shown that quarterbacks can play until they're 41, 42 in the NFL. But those are exceptions. Those are exceptions and exceptional quarterbacks. Now, Aaron Rodgers is an exceptional quarterback. There's no doubt about that. But is he going to be one of those exceptions with collarbone injuries in his past and with all these other injuries that he's had in his past? We just don't know yet, you know, if he's going to be able to be that guy. And so for for that long, he is that guy right now. He's coming off of an MVP season, you know, which is the other thing. The other reason why this is all so wild, because. Sometimes you hear this coming from a guy who's in a losing organization, an organization that's struggling. This is a team that went to the playoffs last year. They've continued a long sort of tradition now, or I don't want to say tradition, but long streak now of struggling in the playoffs when they get there. But you still, this is a playoff team that's got star power all over the place, that's got stars on the offense, stars on the defense, a phenomenal defense last year, and an MVP season. And he's like, nah, this ain't it. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather be a jet or whatever. You know what I mean? Like literally anywhere else but here. And so that's the other part too is that you can't tell me that teams that could potentially go after Aaron Rodgers don't see that mm-hmm. and don't see he's in a successful organization that maybe there's some differences and everything like that. But like he's in a winning situation with a great head coach, one of the futures of the NFL when it comes to offensive minded head coaches. And he's not happy with that. How much of that is going to creep over to this, you know, to our organization, right? Whatever team might be interested in trading for him. Now, every team is probably going to be willing to forego any of that for the purpose of landing a potential MVP, you know, or a, a recent MVP quarterback. But still, those question marks have to be there. Yeah, the organizations who take him on, you have to have really strong leadership up top, mm-hmm. uh, and you have to have a real legitimate plan. And understand either you're buying for a very short term, like the Vikings did with Favre, mm-hmm. and say, we're just taking this for a couple of years. We see how it goes. We get what we get out of it. And you don't overpay for that. But the situation with Rodgers, you also have these other external interests, like Jeopardy, um, just and mm-hmm. his personal life and these things that clearly are of interest to him. And I don't say that as a negative. We all, as we get older in life, you start to you, you start to question and decide where your path is going to go. And Rodgers yeah. is trying to figure out his post-football path while he's playing, which is the smart thing to do. Yeah. But if you're going to invest in him, you have to be looking at this. And it's it's so unlike the situations for Brady or Favre or Manning when they got to the ends of these. Those were all situations where they had to go. There was nothing yeah. behind them anymore. The Colts had said, told Peyton, you got to go. We got Andrew Luck. You're out of here. Yep. Favre was, we have Rodgers. You're out of here. With, with the Patriots, we've done this long enough. We've got to start thinking about the next phase. There's none of that here for Aaron Rodgers. There's no easy out for Aaron Rodgers. And I think the price is too high for most teams. And like you said, there's no rush on the Packers part to do it this year. So if Aaron Rodgers wants to retire, 
they're still going to have his stuff. So he can't go in a way and, and, and do that to them. Or they, and they'll ask for their money back, certainly. Is what they'll be doing. <laughs> so the Packers have all the leverage. I just I just think that this is going to end up being much ado about nothing until the end of this season. I just can't see them yeah. doing this before the season. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it, it, it's a tough and challenging situation for any franchise to be subject to when you have a, you know, a star player that's that's doing this, you know, that's wanting to push out and that's wanting to do it. But it's t- even tougher when you're just simply not in the situation to be able to really do anything about it. And this, the, the, the Packers have all the leverage by having no leverage in a way in terms of trade talks. Like there's no leverage for them in terms of, you know, we talked about what they would lose. We talked about the dead money, all that other stuff. Like all of that factors into it being extremely complicated for them to move him. And that actually works to their favor that, hey, we've already built your contract as such that you would be happy here. And because of that, we're unable to, you know, pull off a move that makes sense for everybody to get you on the way. So come back, have another MVP season in 2021, or we'll revisit at the end of next year if you feel the same way. And that has to be the, the way that they go about it. And outside of Aaron Rodgers just saying, nah, Jeopardy is more important and I'm retiring, but I don't see that happening either. So like I, I've, I've sort of been of the, um, of the mindset that Aaron Rodgers was gonna be a Green Bay Packer here in 2021. It's just that the more details that come out, like him saying, anybody who's coming with me, basically, like you said, you know, who's coming with me, like that's that's just insane. Uh, it, this would be the drop. It's it's the biggest remaining drama of the offseason. Like yeah. everything else, there are dr- dramatic things going on in this league, but nothing will be bigger than this. And this might, I mean, this is literally the biggest quarterback issue since Favre and Rodgers broke up the first time. And, yeah. Um, so since the Saints will look at their their quarterback situation then, because if Aaron Rodgers is off the table, then we look at Taysom and Jameis and folks still not being 100% sold. And you add an Ian Book now. Mm-hmm. It feels to me that I think people are already captivated by Book's potential. Mm-hmm. And that's what fans tend to do because we think we have an understanding of what Jameis is. We think we have an understanding of what Taysom is. And this other kid is the is is something that is new and shiny. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for that rather than feeling like you're getting something you already know. Right. But I can't see how Book will be anything other than a clipboard holder in year one. Yeah, the Saints no. aren't here to develop somebody this season. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, and that's the same way that I look at it. I think that the quarterback battle between Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston needs not be muddied at all it's a quarterback battle it's the first one that the team has seen in nearly 20 years uh what was it kitna and brooks basically or not kitna uh what was uh, his name oh yeah um, um why am i forgetting Je- uh jeff blake jeff blake, blake thank brooks. you like blake blake and uh blake and brooks yeah that was the last one that they really saw you know what i mean and so it's not it, don't don't murky the waters at all like focus on if it's going to be james if it's going to be Taysom. And then you have this other inter- intriguing quarterback battle that'll take place in the background between Trevor Simeon and Ian Book to see who is that guy that is the clipboard holder or the Microsoft Surface holder on the sideline that has the conversations with the starting quarterback. A pivotal role the Saints haven't really had over the past few seasons, but that they love. They had Mark Brunel, they had uh, Luke McCown, they had uh, Chase Daniel, of course. Like This is a, a role that they take very seriously within the organization. And so you come in and you fight to be that quarterback and then, you know, at best or, or I guess 
I guess you could say at worst, but at best for Ian Book, you get an opportunity to maybe go in and like not lose a game that they're already winning. You know what I mean? And that's fine. That's an okay situation to have as a rookie, you know, especially time to develop, time to work, time to learn, time to do all that. Like he's a six foot quarterback. And as we've seen before, it takes a very special offense to be able to help to carry a six foot quarterback. I mean, we've seen that with the Saints and they've done it before, but he's going to take some time. He's also somebody that has a very much a an off the script, like off script uh, approach to his game he's very much somebody that is a run first mentality sometimes too like he'd rather get outside the pocket and everything so you have to really kind of get him comfortable throwing from the pocket first before you can really even talk about him challenging for a starting role in new orleans he doesn't have the reps yet right you know, and we talk about last season we got guys drafted in the top five who didn't play last year right essentially so you're talking about trying to develop him down the road I, I'm, I'm exactly with you. If the Saints know that you're starting either Taysom or Jameis, you have to get them as many reps as possible. You can't have a real a deep battle. And most com- most teams don't do that anyway. People think that right. they're three-way battles. There's rarely a three-way battle yeah. for starting quarterback um, in the NFL. Yeah. I, I, I still think you just – watching that the receivers are with Jameis this offseason, that guys are visiting and working with him yeah. and, and doing those things – I don't have this fear that a lot of folks have that he's going to crap the bid. Yeah. I don't know if he'll be great. I can't say that, but I don't think he's going to come in and, and upset the apple cart and the Saints offense is going to look just horrendous with him under center. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I mean, you know, if you look at him as somebody that has truly grown in terms of decision making and making the right choices, as he talked about what he learned from Drew Brees and everything, you're you're looking at somebody that can still really run a conservative, mostly conservative offense, which I think will still very much be a conservative offense that attacks downfield every now and then, just like we saw in 2016, 2015. That's sort of what I expect to see, not a Bruce Arians go out there and then just put it up every play and see what happens. Like the Saints won't go that route, but there will always be variance and volatility to a downfield approach. That's always going to be something. So I, I think you're right. I mean, inherently opening up an offense and forcing and, and not forcing, excuse me, but opening up an offense and, and attacking deep immediately gives you something different that you've seen in new Orleans, but it also <clears throat> creates more risk. It just simply generates risk. This is a team that set a record two years ago with only eight turnovers the entire season. But that goes away immediately when you start attacking 30, 40 yards down the field. That's just going to happen. You have a greater risk of throwing interceptions downfield than you have throwing in the short and intermediate area, unless you're talking about like a field side out route or something like that, which the NFL quarterbacks just need to stop doing (laughs) altogether. Like, stop, stop calling that play. But. Uh, you know, there are only like three people who could complete that pass. It's really only, yeah, for real. And, <laughs> and Jameis, Jameis's ball, ball velocity, he might be one of them, but really, it's like Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes are the three quarterbacks that can that can still make that pass. You know, and so you know, it's like you just open it up for for those. You're going to see more interceptions in New Orleans next season. You just simply are. You know, you're going to see more interceptions than you saw from Drew Brees because Drew Brees didn't have to attack downfield. He had an offense that was condensed and that he 
manipulated extraordinarily well with good ball with phenomenal ball placement and timing because he had worked with this system for 15 seasons like all of those things factor in and i know i know a lot of people are like hey but Jameis got lasik but that's not the same thing as working in a system for 15 years you know what i mean this is going to be his first time leading the system first we assume right assuming that he wins the, the quarterback battle which I, I very much assume will be the case um first time leading the system first time really operating in what is going to be honestly a different system than what he learned last year yep first absolutely so yeah so he'll be helping to develop a new system at the same time and so all of that factors in all that factors in and 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 you're still working to improve parts of his game that i think will still creep up in his first year back as a starting quarterback some of those things are still going to rear their ugly heads you know i mean you know career wise Jameis and Drew Brees were about basically the same year mm-hmm. when they arrived in New Orleans. Right. Yeah. And people forget like the first six years of Brees in New Orleans, he was leading the NFL in interceptions. He had the most interception in the NFL over those, over those years. A yeah, number of that, double digit, like yeah. 15, 17 interceptions. Yeah, that seasons. 22 interception season too. I think I can. Yeah, I think he was what, 28 one, but... touchdowns and 22 picks. It was something like yeah. that. It was, so yeah, like they've won and that was a winning season for them. That was a double digit win season for them. So like they've done this before, like they can win with that. It just it, yeah, it's it's about when those errors take place mm-hmm. and, and how they take place. And I think that's the thing is you don't want Jameis to make decisions that are deadly on your side of the field. You know, before right. you, you do, those are the yes. places you don't make those because I'd rather you throw a 40 yard uh, inter- interception down the field, 40 yards. Yeah. yeah then punt. throw it in a crossing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> throw it to a linebacker in the middle and let him run that back. I don't right. want that. So yeah, the pick six know. is that was such a big thing, too. If you look back at the his last season in Tampa Bay, like he had that one game where he threw two pick sixes on. I think it was like back to back possessions like it was as bad as it could be. Like those amplify the errors. I mean, the number 30 amplifies the errors no matter what, right? But mm-hmm. if we look back at Jameis's previous seasons, you don't see multiple 30 interception seasons. Uh, you don't even find another 20 interception season, although you get very close. I think he had a 19 interception season. But I mean, you know, those those interceptions that result in immediate opportunities for an opposing offense or convert into points for the defense, those are larger, bigger, more in your face errors than, like you mentioned, a basically a punt down the field on third down when it's third and long. So we'll see how that goes. Um, what's interesting is the story that came out about how before Taysom Hill, Sean Payton had considered Tim Tebow. <laughs> And so now these Taysom and Tim Tebow comparisons have been popping up prior to that anyway. Right. I still don't see the comparison because I will legitimately say no matter what, how I feel about Taysom Hill as a quarterback, he is an elite athlete. You watch him run with the football. He runs like a runner. You watch him throw the football. He throws it like a thrower. When he catches it, when he moves, he moves like an athlete and he has speed that would be speed at any position in the NFL, like he runs a four, four. So you'd be a, an elite. That's elite speed at a tight end. That's right. very good speed as a receiver. That's good speed as a running back. Taysom Hill is a, an athlete. I don't see Tim Tebow as the athlete that Taysom Hill is. And so the comparison to me, it, I'm that that's like Sean. Pick, thank you, Sean, for not making that decision and misreading those tea leaves. You yes. found the guy you were actually looking for. You would have missed it by a long shot with Tebow. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm, I'm quickly grabbing and uh, looking at the um, the relative athletic scores for both for both players because both of them had incredible relative athletic scores on the in the quarterback position. But if you compare them through uh, and and look at them against tight ends since 1987, you get very two two very different stories because then you have a relative athletic score for Tim Tebow, the tight end, compared against all these other tight ends at 8.79. For Taysom Hill compared against the same tight ends, 9.58. Now, the other thing that we're talking about here is, of course, one of them taking place in 2017, one of them taking place in 2010. But don't worry about that because what we're really talking about here is Taysom Hill now versus Tim Tebow then if, you know, Sean Payton would have been able to get him to agree to transition over to that tight end position. But both of them obviously lack in size as tight ends, right, for sure. Um, But, you know, a little bit better uh, on Taysom Hill's side when it comes to to weight at 225, but the vertical, the broad jump, his explosive ratings are elite, his speed ratings are elite, his agility ratings are good, and then you look over at Tim Tebow, who's got like great, great, and then elite when it comes to agility. So I, I just think that even if you just look at the raw numbers of athlete, that that track athleticism in the NFL, t- Tim Tebow lacks in a lot of categories what, where Taysom Hill uh, exceeds expectation as compared to other tight ends across the NFL during his time and then compared to other athletes in the NFL across his time as well. I mean, even just alone, the 40 time, a 4.72, which is good for a tight end, but in terms of how you want to utilize this guy in your offense, a 4.46, which is what Taysom Hill ran, is way, way more um, uh, uh, usable in, in, in the way that Sean Payton wants to be able to use it because he doesn't want to just use him as a tight end, he wants to use him out the backfield. He wants to use him at quarterback. Like he wants to do all these other things and then use him as a runner, everything. So you're talking about trying to, you know, beat defenders to the edge. You're talking about breakaway speed once you get downfield, all those other things. And so Taysom Hill just has all of those elements that make him special as an offensive weapon that Tim Tebow would have really kind of lacked. And I think the he difference- would have been a good tight end, period. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and I think part of it too is that Taysom came in and had to earn everything he had, right? Every bit of it. Yeah. And again, it's not Tim Tebow's fault that he got the job. It's not his fault. Right. Right. But I do fault the system that got him this job, even without saying Colin Kaepernick's name. And I know a lot of people bring him in, but even without saying Cap's name, I'd say I fault the system because there's no way in my mind that if you're telling me that a guy who's a, an okay athlete in Tim Tebow by NFL standards, not a great one, even when he was at his peak at quarterback, if that's what we're going to call it, a six, seven game stretch where we're calling at his peak, right. Tim Tebow was not a guy who outran people. He wasn't particularly elusive. He's more like a blunt force object at quarterback when he was yes. playing that. He ran straight. Um, yeah. Just wear you down. And, you look at Taysom, who came in and said, I want to be a quarterback, but this is my route to get there. I'll take this on. I'll be in every group meeting. I'll do all the stuff, the special teams things. I'll do everything. I'll be the rah-rah guy. I'll go down and lay hits. You earn a level of respect that way. Yeah. Where your teammates aren't – they don't view you as a guy trying to take other people's jobs. You're a guy who's trying to, to get on the field. That's and nobody really would be mad point. at a guy who's trying to get on the field. That's a really, really good point. I, I like that take a lot because that really is Taysom Hill to to a T, right? The guy wants to play football, period. And he was willing to do whatever it took to make sure that he got on the field, which, as you mentioned, is very different than 
let me come back to the NFL after eight, seven years of absence and take a spot from somebody, which he's not going to. Like, he's not going to take a 53-man roster spot, but that's a training camp spot that could go to any of these other tight ends that are still out there that are looking for a role with the team, even through training camp. They're looking to pick up a check for a couple of weeks, you know what I mean, or, or, or whatever. Like, it, it, is, it is very different, right? Because this does feel silver platter handed over to Tim Tebow because of his relationship with Urban Meyer, as opposed to a guy that Sean Payton went out, saw, pursued, brought in, and then you had one of the best special teams minds to ever be in the NFL, and Mike Westoff, who was coaching for the Saints and special teams at that time, say, here's where we have to use him. And then in the middle of that 2017 season, or at the end of that 2017 season, all of a sudden he's flying down the field, making tackles on special teams and everything, and then played himself into a role that he earned, as opposed to this, you know, yeah, we have a we have an existing relationship, so come through and let's see what happens. And I think it shows also how Urban Meyer is just continuing to misplay his entry into the NFL. He does not know how to read the room. <laughs> You're going to go at the truth. I mean, you talk about his coaching staff hires and then right. now with this and the, just the, the way he's communicated himself um, to, and presented himself to the team and to the city of Jacksonville. You have to be wondering if you're a player, what are we doing here? You know, are we yeah. trying to recreate your glory years? Or are we trying to be a winning NFL team? Right. Because these things are everything. It feels a lot like when Steve Spurrier came to Washington. Oh, man. Yeah. And Spurrier went out and got his guys. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go get Danny Werfel and I'm going to go get um, Shane Matthews Shane and I'm go- and I'm signing yeah. all my guys and I'm going to do this. Man, the fun and gun didn't work that way. It, you couldn't move it to the NFL just because you had your guys. And I think that, you know, Tim Tebow walking into the locker room in Jacksonville means nothing. He right. can't be your guy. And Bamani Jones said this yesterday and I hadn't thought of it till then. He said, if I'm in that locker room and Tim Tebow's around, that dude is the feds <laughs> because he's there to narc. That dude is a narc. He's going to be in there telling on everybody because Man. that's coach's guy. Coach's and people guy. don't like that dude. Coach's you can't pet. be that yeah. guy. No, that's, that's, <laughs> I love Bomani, man. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, we we learned a lot with that uh, with that Tim Tebow signing. I really think we did. And I and you know I, I have there's you know there's the there's the the evoking of um of um to, uh, of Colin Kaepernick's name, of course, that that does deserve attention. There's this other thing too, like just this distraction that's taking place with having him come in. You just landed your franchise quarterback, hopefully, in Trevor Lawrence, and the news cycle isn't about Trevor Lawrence. The news cycle is about signing Tim Tebow, like to Jacksonville. Like there's there's just got to be more attention paid to the way that you're drawing attention to your franchise here. Like Trevor Lawrence should be out in front of everybody right now, and I know it's a lot of pressure to put on a rookie, but the guy is built for it. He's ready for it. He knew it was going to be the case. He has been the face of the Jacksonville Jaguars since the Jacksonville Jaguars locked up the first overall selection in the NFL draft. He's been the face of championship-winning programs in Clemson, a, a historyed franchise. Like he's been the face of he's been the face of college football's return to play. Like he's been all of this, and so there's no reason to think that he can't handle being the face of the franchise immediately in Jacksonville. Like there's no mystery here, but stop trying to cloud up and and murky up this situation that should be good news for your franchise, good publicity for your franchise. Jacksonville, which is an amazing city to live in, 
like gets so much of a rap for being a place that NFL players don't want to be, which honestly doesn't make any sense because Florida and taxes and all these other things that are kind of great for NFL players, but it gets such a rap for being this place that NFL players want to avoid. And here's an opportunity to say, this is who we are now. And instead you go with, this is who we are now. And it's just not the right choice. And they fumbled this twice. You fumbled it mm. on draft day by taking Travis Etienne. Right. Cause you immediately had people not, now they're not talking about Trevor Lawrence at one. They're talking about why did you take Travis Etienne? Right. And then you've messed this up now again. Yeah, right. we're talking about a former quarterback who hasn't played in eight years over the guy who's supposed to be defining your franchise for what you hope is the next 10 to 15 years. Right. Right. It, it just it's it's bizarre. And, it's you know, we're still talking about, too, with Jacksonville is are they going to play all their games in England? In a couple of years? Are they going to be in the left? We're not talking anything right. about them. And what I don't even know what Trevor Lawrence has done since he got drafted. Right. We've not seen him in those contexts or had him talk in those contexts since the draft. And I think that Jacksonville, could, yeah, they, you are embarrassing yourself. You are making yourself seem like a franchise that is that doesn't have a, a guide post on where it wants to go right. other than saying what every team says, we want to win. Yeah, it's like there's no longer a direction at all. Like you look like you might have found it, right? And then you hire Chris Doyle and then you were like, all right, yeah, I admit that's not a great hiring. And so then they backed out of that hiring. Then you draft Trevor Lawrence and you're like, okay, things are going going north here and then Travis Etienne and then all you know and then now this Tim Tebow stuff and then London <laughs> so it's just it's just so much man what a what a tumultuous franchise just to go back onto the field the schedule is coming out today mm -hmm. of course we're having schedule leaks mm -hmm. and the two biggest ones that have come out for the Saints hosting the pack those same Packers in week one Right. And quarterback questions in that matchup. <laughs> right. And then hosting the Bills on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. And then um, Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys. It looks like the Saints will be hosting them on Monday Night Football after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So those are three big primetime games. And then the Saints strength of schedule has them. They have the um, hardest schedule in the NFC South currently. Mm -hmm. Um 22 out of 30 teams, the Saints. Atlanta dead has the easiest schedule. I mean, uh, the 30th easiest schedule in the league. Tampa Bay at 29, Carolina at 26. It, it, it's not going to be easy for the Saints, but it never is. And I'm not, I never get too caught up in preseason rankings because that's not who you're bringing back this year. Yeah, yeah, it, it's hard to, and I, I, I thank you for saying that because I always kind of preface when it comes to strength of schedule. Like right now, they're playing against, and, and strength of schedule right now is defined by the fact that they're playing against teams in 2021 that had a combined win percentage of about 48.3 percent in 2020, which is kind of middling, right? I mean, you're playing against teams that basically won half their games. So, but at the same time, you're also playing against the NFC East who was atrocious in 2020. It was, it was atrocious in 2020. Uh, Dak Prescott getting hurt was such a huge part of all that. A historically terrible defense in Dallas was such a huge part of that. You look at the Giants, who got much better as the season progressed, particularly over on the defensive side. They've reloaded and rebuilt their offense entirely at this point, particularly at the skill position players. They're getting Saquon Barkley back. You're basically giving Daniel Jones no excuse to fail in 2021. They've done a very good job in New York in building up those teams. Uh, you can also even look at the Washington football team, who's taken some strides at the skill positions as well. I think they still need to figure out quarterback, but if they roll with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I'm down with that because Ryan Fitzpatrick is good television. 
as a, as a quarterback. He's True. phenomenal television. I mean, regardless, it's of, a ride. Of the, of the game, it's, it's a, a ride. ride. <laughs> it's a ride. Um, and then you look over at some of the other teams that they are playing against this year. Um, looking at the uh, 2020 season, um, the Panthers, who struggled quite a bit throughout the season, and of course the the Atlanta Falcons, who struggled quite a bit in the 2020 season. Both of those teams should get better in 2021 within your division, and that's four games right there for you. So it's tough to look at it and say, okay, yeah, they have the they have 22 out of 32 when it comes to easiest schedules in the NFL, from toughest to, to easiest. It's just... It, the thing that's rough about it is that it doesn't matter as much as you look at 2020 and you look forward to 2021. One thing that um, Brian Bianami and I always talk about once schedules come out is like, okay, what's the travel distance for these games? Because that ends up being a huge, huge part of it, especially now with the 17th game and additional travel, because that 17th game for the Saints is an away game because they're an NFC team. So all the away games, or all the home games going to the AFC opponents in those additional games. So for the Saints, what's the travel distance for each of these games? Well, how long are certain road trips? We already know two of the, the home games, one of the away games. So there's just a lot more to sort of figure out in the midst of all this that I think is more important than the win-loss record of last season. Yeah, to me, you know, schedule is about when you play a team mm-hmm. um, and Last season was impacted so much by COVID and who didn't right. play and when they played and all these things. And with, uh, you know, you, you, you change your roster in the offseason. We always think we know what NFL teams are going to do and then they don't do that. So right. it's it's right. like college football. We talk about, oh, well, this is what they did last year. We expect them to do this year. That's not going to happen. Right. I hate it when when leagues refer to games as this is a rematch of last season. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. These are not the same teams. Yeah. If there's two guys different, it's an entirely different team. And that's it's 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 different. And so that's the way I view it. (laughs) Rematch by name only. It's the NFL. What you know in the NFL is that there will be four teams you probably play this season who will be hot garbage. Just they will be. But you might not beat them. That's the thing, too. That doesn't mean you win. (laughs) That doesn't mean you win. But they'll be four really good teams on your schedule. There'll be four hot garbage teams and everybody else will be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I don't think you can get a lot out of looking at the schedule other than when your team plays certain teams, mm-hmm. because though early season, you're looking at certain things. Is this matchup more favorable as my team is adjusting? Is this yeah. a good opponent that I think style where they're playing? Like I said, is it, is it road heavy early? Is it home heavy early? Mm-hmm. What's the back end look like? What are you preparing for right. in those, in that sense of, of what we used to do with the quadrants, first four, yeah. second four, third four, and figure out what you wanted your record to be within those groups mm-hmm. of games. That's far better to me than saying, I'm going to take these 17 as an aggregate and decide how hard my Absolutely schedule is. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this year I'm going to look at it as the first five games. Cause we know that the uh, bye week is going to be week six, mm-hmm. second week of jazz fest, which is super dope to have that be the bye week. That's great for the city. Uh, but you know, you've got the first five games and then you can go four, four, and four after the bye week is the way that I, I think I'll look at it. And, you know, until we know what those are, we know that they'll open up against the Packers and we know two games late in the season. But as of right now, at the time that we're we're talking, you don't know anything else yet. And so uh, figuring out how to really break this down, I'm not going to try to look at the entire season and say, this is what's going to happen. It's It's still quarter by quarter, no matter what. For the Saints roster to get ready for the season, after the draft, and we've seen the class, I thought the Saints did a very good job in the draft. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's uh, certainly going up to get an edge rusher in the first round, but not the edge rusher that folks had heard of was a a controversial, we'll say, uh, decision. But there was a run on edge rushers, and the Saints took the one that they thought would give them, um, would fit in and be able to contribute immediately. Um, it seems that coming out of the draft, the Saints got what they wanted, but there's still some holes that they need to address before we get to training camp. Mm-hmm. Obviously, folks want another receiver, um, certainly another tight end, because you don't have a lot of experience at that spot. Um, corner is still a, an area of concern of not having a veteran there at that spot, mm-hmm. even though you've drafted one. And you pick up linebackers, but you still want some a veteran there opposite Demario Davis, at least to be, either, if not a starter, a mentor sure. uh, uh, on that group. Those are the four spots that I'm looking at. Are there players or spots that I'm missing? Um, the only only other spot that I, I still would love to see the Saints address that you, that that is in addition to what you mentioned is the interior defensive line, particularly an interior pass rusher. That's kind of been the thing I've been I've been sort of pounding the table for all offseason still is that like, let's not ignore that there's not an interior pass rusher proven interior pass rusher on this team at the moment opposite. Uh, David Onyemata. David Onyemata has proven to be a very, and has developed into a very good interior pass rusher. He's one of the reasons why you you were okay with Sheldon Rankins signing elsewhere and picking up a compensatory pick in exchange for him. But, you know, I, I think that losing Malcolm Brown, you're okay with that because David Onyemata can play nose tackle. Then you've also got guys like Shai Tuttle, Malcolm Roach that can also play nose tackle. Uh, they've got um, Glasgow who can come in and, and maybe play one of those positions as well. He actually played pretty well early on in the 2020 season. So it'll be interesting just to see if they do go after an interior pass rusher, another three tech that they can use with David Onyemata at one in the A-gap and sort of give them a little bit more of a boost, a push in the interior pass rush game. That would be one of the other one that I would look at. Um, in terms of some players to address some of those spots, I mean, at the cornerback position, there's some interesting veterans that are still out there. Brashad Breeland, Garyon Conley, who's another former Ohio State Buckeye, had a really nice season in 2019, gave up a lot of touchdowns, but did really well in terms of uh, you know reception percentage that he allowed, just over 50%, pretty good. Um, not, not a bad ratio at all. Played a good ratio of man to zone. That's pretty in line with the way that Janoris Jenkins was deployed last year. So he's an interesting potential fit. Um, Richard Sherman continues to be connected to the team. We'll see what happens there. He didn't seem very pleased about the Saints drafting Paul Sinadibo, but also spoke very highly of Paul Sinadibo. And I don't think is going to be the type of player that's going to say, oh, I'm not signing there because you know, they drafted this rookie. Like, they still need somebody potentially to go out there and start in 2021 because Paul Sadibo is going to need time. He opted out of the 2020 season. We haven't seen him play full speed, full on football since 2019. So he's going to need some time until he's ready. So I like those players. I'm really interested to see what they do at linebacker because I do think Pete Werner is the most ready of the draft class to go out there and start week one. But I I wouldn't fault them for going out and signing like, I don't know, a KJ Wright or somebody that is a veteran player that can fit in that role should they need should they need him or end up like you mentioned being kind of a backup mentor um to to the position for the younger guys that are there which also includes Zach Bond who's still trying to develop as an off-ball linebacker and make that transition as well. Yeah, cuz the biggest thing for these guys is having to play coverages that they've never done before mm-hmm. and to be in situations in so much more space in the NFL than there is in the college level. Yeah. And and 
the Saints pass coverage because of that defensive line, like you talked about, not having maybe the, the same rush level in the middle that they've had the last couple of years, your linebackers have to be solid in that coverage and being able to work sideline to sideline. And rookies make mistakes. That's just the nature of the beast. Pros make mistakes, but rookies are going to make more mistakes in those situations. And I, the Saints getting off the field on third down is going to be so paramount this yeah. year and not allowing teams to extend drives with this younger defense and a new offense. They don't want to be put in bad positions of uh, field position wise. So I think it is going to be important to have somebody that you could count on, particularly in those third down situations, yeah. even with just two linebackers on the field to play in coverage and keep the, the play in front of them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, Pete Werner does bring some of that in terms of, you know, being able to carry a tight end up the seam and stuff like that. But you want to see him get a little bit more reactive and a little bit more, uh, or let me not even say reactive, let me say anticipatory more, more appropriately uh, in the flats to where, you know, I mean, we've seen it time and time again with the Saints, right? If they have a linebacker that can't be active enough in the flats like they had with, um, Quan Alexander, who was extremely active in the flats, those third and sixes are a pass behind the line of scrimmage away from being picked up, you know? And so I think that that's what you want to see from him. And the athleticism that he does bring, uh, is he able to do that? If he's not, then maybe you see them lean a little bit more to either uh, another, a different linebacker that they can deploy in those situations or more dime packages on third down that allow you to get more athleticism out on the field and quickness out on the field by adding an additional safety or an additional defensive back that could get out there and operate as like a dime linebacker essentially next to Demario Davis to where you're out there in what is effectively a uh, a 4-2-5, right? Four down linemen, and then mm-hmm. you've got your your two linebackers and five defensive backs. But instead, one of those linebackers is, I don't know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, and then you have somebody else jump in. You have P.J. Williams go and take the slot or flip those two, right? Because P.J. Williams is a very good tackler, and then so you get him involved in the run game or you get him involved in the short passing game in that way. So there's just you know some other routes that they could go if they don't get the linebacker there, but it'd be great to get the linebacker with experience there. Here's one thing that I wanted to talk to you about. Looking at the Saints roster this season, at the end of the year, they're going to have 22 free agents. Mm -hmm. 14 of those, I think, are unrestricted free agents. Mm -hmm. There has to be a a lot of pressure on this season to win because if you don't, those unrestricted free agents have less of an impetus to re-sign in New Orleans. If they feel that the ship is going backwards, if you're not at that 10 win level, you know, and feeling like, okay, we just had a little hiccup this year. We may not be a Super Bowl team, but we're on the right path. Jameis is adjusting. I feel good in the future, whatever. Yeah. If you don't do that and Ramchek or Lattimore or any of these other guys who are sitting there in this position say, New Orleans is no longer the place for me. It's no longer the place that's going to get me to a Super Bowl. There has to be some significant pressure to continue to win. Not on Sean Payton. He ain't going nowhere. His job is not in trouble. Yeah. But for those players, knowing that they have had to juggle the money in in New Orleans and everybody's had to kind of play, I don't have to be patient anymore if this isn't a winning situation. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on this season, for sure. And it ends up becoming... You know, this the other part of it, too, is that there's a lot of pressure on this situation because you want those 22 free agents to resign. There's also not a ton of cap space next season. I mean, they're already kind of like down in the dumps again. It's just the cap space. Now, you know, you hope that it's up 
with full fan attendance and everything like that. But I just you're going to end up in the same situation again last year. I mean, this next year that you were in this past season to where, you know, you're going to have to make some decisions based upon how you do that and kick more cans down the road and all that other stuff. And the Saints will be fine. Like, they'll do all that. But do teams, do play? can you convince players that what happened to certain players this past season, Janoris Jenkins, Quan Alexander, Emmanuel Sanders, that it won't happen to them the very next season, you know what I mean? Looking ahead to 2023 at that point. So it, it's an important season for the Saints to show, to, to get fans in the stands, to show that they're in the right direction. And I think that, I think that the quarterback decision that they make immediately has a lot of bearing on that. You know, we heard a lot about when the Saints decided that Taysom Hill was going to be the starter in the, you know, during those four games that Drew Brees was out that apparently some people within the organization, including players, really wanted it to be Jameis. And so for Sean Payton, it was more important to him that he you know, lived up to his promise in terms of what it was that he promised Taysom Hill when he signed his contract. And then, you know, you also have the, you know, he had to protect himself in case Jameis didn't come back the following season and everything, which that's and a whole the other. And that you, we talked about before right. last season where you said, look, it was in the Saints' best interest to not show right. those Jameis Winston cards to drive up his price. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that that ended up paying off very well for New Orleans this season. And so, you know, and, and the Jameis Winston story will be another one to where it's like, you know, he's got to go out there and have a successful enough season that he feels like he can come back and have more successful seasons with with New Orleans and that offense. And so this a lot hinges on the 2021 season in terms of the future of the New Orleans Saints with the team that they currently have in the locker room. If you were doing a pressure rankings like I say, I'm, there's no hot seat to me, but right. if you were doing pressure rankings, who are either in the coaching staff or the player, is Jameis Winston the person this season who has the most pressure on them um, relative to what they have to do? Or would it probably maybe be somebody like Alvin Kamara who will now be asked basically to be the central figure of the offense? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that those two make a lot of sense. I'll go over to the defensive side, though, and I'll point out Dennis Allen. I don't think that Dennis Allen is in a place where he's, you know, on the on the verge of any kind of a hot seat or anything like that. But you have a new quarterback, you have a revamped offense, and you're missing players at each level on your defense. You you had holes going into the draft at each play at each level of your defense. So if you're going to build a team that's going to support a new quarterback, a first year quarterback in your system, you have to have a reliable defense. And the team has been able to hang their laurels on this defense for each of the last three seasons, 2017 through really, I would say the last four seasons, 2017 through 2020, you know, because that defense progressed in 2017 with that draft class. And so you have a lot of pressure, Dennis Allen, and even the defensive coaching staff to make sure that the defense is operating in such a way that it's supportive of your essentially, I'll just say your first year quarterback, right? He's not first year in the NFL, but first year in your system. So that's really one of the things that I look at for them is to make sure that you're not putting Jameis Winston in a situation to where he can't run a New Orleans Saints offense because he has to play hero ball because the defense is allowing you know 40 points a game, 30 points a game. That's not going to be an advantageous situation or at all a cohesive situation for your quarterback. How much pressure is Cam Jordan under? Because I think the days, and I'm not trying to be mean, but I think the days of Cam as an all pro are done. That's, that's, it's just, it's hard at this age to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You start transitioning to that Julius Peppers type 
you know, thing where right. I do one thing really well or I hold my edge, those things can still be consistent. But with his money, his age, and the fact that they do have all these young defensive ends that they brought in over the last couple of years now, is Cam still a defensive end for the foreseeable future? Or do the Saints have to maybe start thinking about, Cam, do we have to move you inside? It's an interesting situation to where they could potentially do that or an interesting option to potentially do that. I think obviously he's going to get his run at, you know, that that defensive end position first and foremost to see if he can get those sack numbers up back up in particular. I think that they are sensitive to the fact that he was coming off of an offseason surgery last year and, and, and everything like that. But I do think he has I think there's some pressure there to either produce at his position or be open and willing to adjust his responsibilities should the team decide that that's the direction that they need to go. Either one of those situations puts some pressure on Cam Jordan to either be able to produce or be okay with that type of transition. He said he wants to be a lifer with the New Orleans Saints, and so either one of those situations would help to ensure that, but it'll be interesting to see exactly what the outlook is for Cam Jordan midseason to the end of the season to see how much he's able to hold up and, and, and step his production back up. I mean, he's obviously somebody that can do it. It's just, are we going to be able to see it? And we haven't heard much out of Marshawn Lattimore, Mm-hmm. But this is this is his biggest year in the NFL. This is his yeah. make or break with the Saints. Um, it's it's weird to watch a player go from this is an NFL first all first team all pro level potential Hall of Fame corner to folks saying, "Do we need Marshawn?" Right? Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. And people, I mean, like, look, there's inconsistent. There have been inconsistencies in his play. There's no there's no doubt about that. I think some people like to call it playing down to competition. I think it's honestly just inconsistencies, period. Yeah, I don't believe in that. I don't I don't, yeah, I don't I don't I don't believe people either. play down to things. You're not concentrating. It's that simple. Right. You're not focused. Right. Yeah, it's a focus thing for him. And so we've seen those inconsistencies. We've seen those lapses in his play that have been costly. Um, we've seen all of that. And so I think that there's there's that part. Then there's the offseason arrest that I think is going to, you know, it's going to be something that's going to hang over his head. Like he no longer has leverage at this point as somebody looking to negotiate a future contract. I think he plays on his fifth year option this year because it's the Saints essentially saying that they don't have to give him an extension at this point. And instead, we need to see what's going to happen, right? What, how are you going to perform? Can you go out there? Can you be consistent on a game-by-game basis? How does this legal situation end up you know, uh, factoring into all of it? Does he end up suspended early on in the season, which is still possible regardless of what actually happens in the court of the law, the way that the, New or- uh, the, way that the NFL looks at things? There's a different practice there and so they could still choose to suspend him for violations to the code of conduct so we'll see what all of that looks like but it is it has been a very interesting sort of i don't want to call it a fall but i'll say it's been a very i think it's a ride right it's a roller coaster again it's a shift of it's a shift of i think perception not a fall absolutely yeah you know you had he had he had a great start and people naturally start to view their they progression down the road there. Yeah, but now exactly. you've gotten more evidence and like you said what the evidence shows is that he is consistently inconsistent that his peaks are very high but his valleys can be very low right um and you just want to see some more of that flattening I w- would you talk to fans real quick and this is something i think is a very important thing is when we get into talking about players and their financial value one of the things i'm always doing when i assess, assess players is can I get comparable production from a lesser player at lesser cost mm-hmm. compared to the guy that I might like 
because I can, no matter how much I might like a certain player, the realities of a salary cap league mean that those are difficult decisions to make. And if the gap between comparable production and the guy that I have, isn't that distant, then I'm going to choose the, the comparable production every time. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. I'm going to look real quick at uh, a player that I think is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, you talked about the wide receiver position earlier. The Saints moved on from Emmanuel Sanders this offseason to save money. They saved about, I can't remember exactly how many, how much it was. I think it was $4 or $5 million. Yeah, I think correctly. it was 4 8 Was it something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. But, uh, you know, you had 61 receptions for 726 yards and five touchdowns. From Can you get that production out of somebody that's already on your roster in the new New Orleans Saints situation. And I think you can, because you could probably get that from Traquan Smith. I know a lot of people have sort of fallen in terms of their perception of Traquan Smith, but remember that Traquan Smith was drafted out of UCF as a deep threat, 19.8 yards per catch, 12 touchdowns in his final season at UCF, over 1,100 yards. That was a he was a productive player downfield coming into the 2018 New Orleans Saints, where the downfield area of attacking for the offense went away, right? 2016, 2017 were really the last remaining years that we saw this New Orleans Saints team go vertical in their attack. So then you draft this vertical wide receiver and then put him in an offense that does not go vertical. So then he ended up in the slot as opposed to playing out wide, which is what he was originally drafted to do. But with the way that the Saints had to re sort of approach their offense and everything like that, you ended up moving him into the slot and having Ted Ginn Jr. be that guy that just stretched the field and moved players out of the way, basically. So now you have a guy like Traquan Smith that's all of a sudden there's an opening at the Z receiver spot in the flanker role opposite opposite Michael Thomas. You have a quarterback that's going to help you push the ball deep, that's going to help open up more of the offense. Again, I still think this is going to be a majority conservative offense in terms of working in the short and intermediate area, West Coast, but then maybe some more of those air core yell concepts end up coming back and then you end up attacking a little bit more down the field. So now all of a sudden, Traquan Smith has the ability to finally be able to play the position that he was drafted to play, which he has not been able to do since 2018 when he was drafted, which was the last time that the Saints drafted a wide receiver before this, this most recent draft. Now, all of a sudden, you see that. So I think for the Saints, they believe, considering when they drafted Traquan Smith, the timing of that draft, the decisions that had to be made going into the 2018 season or during the 2018 season in terms of limiting the offense a little bit more away from attacking downfield and his production in college, there's enough signs that point to, yes, the Saints felt like they could save the money on Emmanuel Sanders but still get comparable production out of a player that already exists on their roster and is on a rookie contract like Traquan Smith. And I think, too, for Traquan is the the uh, play-action pass is going to be reintroduced to the Saints' offense. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Breeze did not like the play-action pass because it took away his oppor- that, that fraction of a second for him because he needed to be able to look over that defensive line. Well, with Jameis and with Kamara, with Murray, be able to be back there behind them, you can run those on first and second down. You can run some play-action opportunities, give you some double moves, and go deep. Yeah. And that that just wasn't something the Saints were able to do. It is something Breeze wasn't comfortable with. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Latavius Murray is another player that could potentially fall under that category of can I can the team get comparable production at a lesser price? I mean, he's got a, a pretty interesting price tag, just a little bit over $2 million, 3.3 if you move on from a post-June 1. And so with all of that, if the Saints feel like they can get running back two productions, remember, we're not talking about a starting role right. here. We're not talking about a star feature uh, quarter, excuse me, running back like Alvin Kamara. We're talking about a supporting role. If you can get that same type of supporting role, and I think Latavius Murray is good. I, I actually want Latavius Murray to stay on this roster in 2021, but if they feel that they can get better production out of what they project Latavius Murray to be in 2021, which is not the same as what he was in 2020, then that would be another situation in which they could save a little bit of money, move on. They were already shopping him reportedly before free agency anyway. If they ended up moving on from him and bringing somebody in that they felt they could get comparable, comparable production off of for the sake of saving money, that would be another example where you could see that happen. As we look at the we'll close while looking at the rest of the NFC South, mm-hmm. um, I still have the Saints second in the division as far as mm-hmm. sitting right now. Um, Tampa, you give them the benefit of the doubt, bringing back their, the vast majority of their team. And right. um, as if they're healthy, they're, they're still the best team in the division. Uh, but Atlanta and Carolina are very interesting to me mm-hmm. because the Sam Darnold thing is still – I'm just the projections for Sam Darnold. I, I'm I wonder why folks continue to be so high on him, because I see a lot of people who think that the Panthers are better than the Falcons, and I just don't know that. I can't. the 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 Panthers. I think we both agree would have some very have some very dynamic weapons on offense. Yeah, they have a, a better defense than we thought. Mm-hmm. Watching them last season, that defense got much better as the season went on. But I still don't know about that offensive line. And I have no clue about what Sam Darnold really is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a stretch to say that Carolina is better than Atlanta or New Orleans, which I've also seen some people say. Um, I, I don't think that that is a reality at this moment. And I think Carolina knows that, too. I think Carolina's intent is to continue to build this team and continue to build around what they have and then potentially and then or excuse me eventually either settle in with Sam Darnold if he operates better in this specific system which again I I don't have much faith in that idea at all or they you know draft another quarterback and then decide to move on from Sam Darnold which also could make sense and so I think that that is a team that's still in the midst of its retool rebuild I think that Atlanta is more solidified than Carolina, but also still has question marks at the quarterback position with with Matt Ryan. Like, can Matt Ryan produce? And he has no excuse to not be able to, right? But can he produce a winning record as part of all this, right? And I know that wins wins are not a quarterback stat by any means, but it, it's the entire team. But is he going to be enough to be able to take advantage of the weapons that are around him? Because the run game might still struggle going into 2021 you have a lot of receiving options now with calvin ridley julio jones assuming that julio jones is still a falcon in 2021 which i expect he will be kyle pitts who they just drafted at fourth overall instead of trying to solidify 10 15 years of success at the quarterback position beyond matt ryan with a guy like justin fields who is still on the board at at pick four and a lot of falcons fans are pretty upset about that that choice did you do enough to be successful right now to the point where it's worth not being successful, potentially not being successful for years after Matt Ryan. I don't know if you have. So, and then the defensive side still needs a ton of work, 
right? They did, I mean, they, they landed some good players and everything. They get a great safety in Richie Grant. Like they have some good players that they landed in the draft, but those are still rookies, right? Mm-hmm. The same way that we have our sort of like, let's pump the brakes and wait and see what happens with the Saints rookies. You have to do that with rookies across the NFL. And I think that, that they, they haven't done enough immediate improvement of their defense to be you know anything stellar at the moment but if the offense can roll and can do what the atlanta offenses have done in the the recent past then they'll be okay so i still look at the saints as the second team right now in the division behind the tampa Bay buccaneers as you mentioned who literally brought back their entire starting super bowl champion lineup so it's hard not to look at them and say okay they have a team that is capable of achieving the same success as the team before them now we'll see how much a year how much a difference a year makes in all of those players and their ability to be able to produce but as of right now you assume them and give them as you mentioned the benefit of the doubt as the top of the division then i would go new orleans i would go atlanta and i would go carolina who's still tooling and uh, around the nfc I, i don't see after the draft a bunch of change as far as what i think about the top of the conference either you right. still have to figure if Green Bay's healthy, they'll be good. I don't know if yep. they're great. I don't think Minnesota is tremendously better because you still have Kirk Cousins. I think there's a ceiling whenever you have Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. Even if Justin Fields starts week one, um, and I know the Bears keep saying they don't plan to play him this year, which I think is the dumbest thing that you would ever say when right. you're both – Charles Nagy could be getting – I mean, uh, uh, Nagy could be getting fired at the end of this right. year if they don't win. Uh, so even if he plays, though, he's still a rookie. So there's right. a ceiling on what they can do um, as a team. I mean, it's it's it, winning, getting a winning record with a rookie quarterback is is good enough, right? In this league, I don't think Detroit is going to be. Now I say that it pains me as a Lions fan, but um, I don't think Detroit's going to be significantly better having changed out Matthew Stafford for um, uh, Jared, Jared Goff. Goff. Come on, no. And, <laughs> and, and, and so I don't. I just don't, you look around the rest of these divisions. You go in the West. Seattle still has problems and they, mm-hmm. they don't have, they have an unhappy quarterback. Right. Arizona has not shown the growth that you would have thought that Cliff Kingsbury would have brought on the offensive side. They mm-hmm. weren't particularly imaginative last year and how they used Kyler Murray and you get this gift in Deandre Hopkins and you don't really use him in any way other than go deep. They didn't right. do a lot with him. Uh, the rest of that San Francisco who knows what San Francisco is? Yeah, they have only have one winning season under Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, they made it to the Super Bowl in that season, but that's still only one. Right. I I don't know how you know the AFC looks so much stronger right now. The NFC, and I think the Saints will benefit from that too. It'll keep them mm-hmm. in contention while yeah. they figure things out. Yeah, absolutely. Like I still think that the Saints are a playoff contending team. Probably a wild card. I mean, if they can win their division, that's great. But probably a wild card team. Um, and a lot of it just has to do with how weak the NFC is. I mean, I think you might see Dallas pull away in the NFC, excuse me, the NFC East next season, as opposed to the you know list of seven and nine, seven, eight and ones that we saw last year. I think Dallas has the capability of pulling ahead there and maybe getting to a double digit win season. But again, they win their division. And then after that, who's going to be the other team to be a double digit win team? I don't know in that division that you will have another one. And so, you know, when you look at Philly, when you look at the Washington football team, you look at the Giants. So I think that the Saints can end up with a better record than what any of them will produce. We'll see what happens in the NFC North. As you mentioned, we have no idea what that's going to look like, but you assume that the Packers win that division. And then who's the other 10 win team out of those three remaining teams? I'm not sure that there is one. If there is one, then it's, you know, Minnesota, Minnesota having. Yeah, they'd a, be a, the yeah. only one that you 
say he had a chance. Right. They would be the only ones at all. And then you look over at the NFC, the NFC West, and you could probably expect to see two playoff teams come from the NFC West based upon probably the Rams, who should walk in with you know a really rejuvenated offense with Matt Stafford, the opposite of Detroit, sorry, going in with Matt Stafford as opposed to Jared Goff and a much better defense or, or a very good defense. They had the number one defense last year, so hard to call it much better, but a very good defense that they've retained most of the major pieces of in 2020 going into 2021. And then probably, I don't know, Seattle, maybe we'll see what exactly what happens there with, with Seattle. But yeah, I think that the Saints are still very much in contention within the NFC to still make the playoffs and then see what happens there. That's the thing about the playoffs too, is all you have to do is get there and then everything yeah. else goes away. It doesn't matter if you had a nine and eight season, if you had a 10 and seven season, if you had an 11 and six season, none of that matters. If you get to the playoffs, you get to the playoffs. And then what does that, what are you able to do? once you get there. And that's something that we haven't been able to see the Saints capitalize on uh, for a variety of reasons that are some of their own fault, some not, right, over the last four seasons in their NFC South champion playoff runs. Now they get into 2021 here with an opportunity again to still make the playoffs and see what they can do when they get there. Man, there's still so much to happen this offseason, so many uh, destinations to be decided. and um, I- I'm excited for the prospect of training camp coming up soon and, and mm-hmm. mini camps and all these things, man, it's just, it's, 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 it feels like it's, you can smell it. You know what I mean? The, yeah. the, the dinner yeah, is like warming right up. <laughs> it's starting to get cooked. This is, this has to be your favorite time, man. As you start really now you're back in it, the draft stuff is over and now you're back in just the, the nuts and bolts of this team being put together. Yeah, it, it's it's a very, very fun time for sure. And the thing that I really like about this time is that we get to go back now to like fundamentals. We talk about team building. We get to talk about, you know, roles within the offense. We get to talk about how running back two is utilized versus running back one or running back three and these special teams roles and things like that. We get to talk about, OK, here's the defensive alignment that the Saints play and where their players factor into it and all these other things. Like, I, I love all of that. I, I love this time to where we get to do all the prep work to get to football as opposed to all the months long you know you spend months getting ready for the draft and it's like a good dinner because it's over in you know an hour it's over in 20 minutes you know whereas with the uh whereas with the season you do all this prep work and then you get 17 18 now weeks plus for playoff teams to really make good on the work that you did to get ready so i I love this part of the season so many new storylines uh, for teams and for players going forward. It's going to be great to, to watch and to hear from you as you cover these things. Please tell the folks how they can get all the things you do now, Mr. Blue Check. <laughs> See, I, I, it's funny. I, I, I walk through life forgetting about that. But, you know, then you get the reminder of it. Well, see, you, you, now you have like, is there is there a button that you push and you go to the, the club for the blue checks? Yeah, and- it's, there's a whole club. Somebody brings you food to your door <laughs> and everything like hot towels. <laughs> all that, all that. It all you get it all a smoking jacket and a yeah. <laughs> the blue check on us over your yeah. heart. Yeah, the cigars, everything. Like they, they come through with the Cubans, like everything's Gucci. The sandwiches and and the cigars. I'm talking. Oh, okay. About well, you get hey. both of them. You get the Cubans and the Cubanos. So, uh, no, man. But it's it, yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola N O L A. Uh, you know the Locked On Saints podcast every Monday through Friday. Now also on YouTube as well. So you can search for the lot for Locked On Saints on YouTube. And of course you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Uh, also Tuesdays are at Locked On NFL, where I get to have a lot of fun with my good friend Luke Braun to talk. About 
about NFL storylines and break all of it down uh, a little bit more wide scale than just the New Orleans Saints, just like David and I do here every Wednesday for the Dome Patrol. And of course, you could check out uh, Canal Street Chronicles for all the write-ups over there as well. Right. I'm just, I'm just so proud of you and uh, just continue to, to just be pleased with your success and and live a little bit, bit vicariously through it because we're both chasing <laughs> the same things. And uh, so I just I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for you and I'm glad things are going well. And I'm glad we got to do this again. It was it, I needed yeah, the break, man. but um, getting back and, and having you here to do it with me is is always a pleasure. Yeah, brother. Always, always a pleasure to be here with you. We're stride for stride, man. There's nothing that, you know, we're both, we're both in pursuit. So let's That's keep right. it going, man. Let's That's right. <laughs> the game is not over. That's and, right. <laughs> oh, I did want to tell you this. Yes. Because this hit me. And the person that I always think of when I go back to this is you, because somebody was hitting me on Twitter about um, being wrong. Uh-huh. And they, they brought, you know, brought an old tweet of mine that said something about Jackson Hayes. Oh, sure. And, so as soon as he started getting playing well as of late, so I threw it at me to talk about, you know, you're wrong, wrong, wrong. And every time I'm just like, I don't think they get me. Right. Because we have said so many times on this um, show that, look, we're going to be wrong. Right. That's that's part of this. Right. Like, that's the job. I have to speculate. And sometimes I'm going to be wrong. But I just yeah. hope that the basis in which my speculation comes is based in fact. And right. that's all that I'm trying to do. I can only be consistent with what evidence I have in front of me. Yes. Yeah. And just trying to evaluate something similar. Like, uh, you know, nobody threw it back at me, but, you know, I had talked about when when people were talking about Quan Alexander potentially getting cut. And I was like, I don't think he's going to get cut because of the injury and he has to pass through physicals and all these other things. Seems unlikely he's going to be able to do that. And then. You know, so it'd be a huge injury settlement in order to get a raise. They ended up being able to do it. They ended up cutting them and they ended up moving on and saving $13 million and everything like that. But as you mentioned, like the basis for what the expectation was in terms of how quickly can Jackson Hayes grow? Will Quan Alexander be a saint next season? Which is still, of course, possible. But, you know, the expectation or, or, or the, the criteria by which we make that observation or that that uh, what was your speculation, as you mentioned, is accurate information and that's the biggest thing and so you use these things to try to contextualize and project from there but it doesn't mean you're going to be right and that's okay like that's fine like you're just giving you're giving our job is to give people the talking points and information that it's not about what we believe it's why we believe it and then you can take that information and utilize it do you agree? Do you disagree? And that's totally fine. But like, none of us are hurt by being wrong. I'm usually excited about being wrong because it's like, oh, good. I get to revisit the story again. <laughs> and now I get to talk about it and say, OK, great. Let's talk about what happened, what changed, what went what went wrong, went right, whatever. You know what I mean? I, I, I very much appreciate when I get to revisit those stories that way. Yeah. I mean, this I don't there are no W's and L's on my record. No. You're know saying like if you look up our Wikipedia pages or whatever you go to our websites, we don't right. have how many times no we've been right or wrong. <laughs> Nobody's paying us for that. Right. Nobody cares. No. <laughs> Can we present information in a way that's digestible, relatable, and accurate? Yeah. Accurate doesn't mean you're correct every time, but you have to be something that I can go back and look into it and say, yes, that information was your point was valid. That's all. And I just that's that's what I'm trying to do consistently. And that's what you try to do consistently is present all the information in a way that's reasonable, yeah. reasonable. Not the rest of it is up to conjecture that we're never going to make everybody happy. Right. If I say and he's I, not going to get cut or he's not, he's going to be good and he turns out bad. If he turns out bad, he's 
somebody's unhappy with what I said. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we step out on the ledge and we do that because right. we love it. Yep. We do it because we love it. And we do it because for the people, even when they disagree, I appreciate the passion. I appreciate Absolutely. the interest. The only thing I ever ask out of people is understand that I can't come at it the way you do. Right. I can't, I don't have the luxury of being purely a fan anymore. Right. That that's over for me as a, as a person. And it's not sad. It's just an evolution. It's just the way things have to be in this business, but it doesn't mean I don't love it. And it doesn't mean I don't understand where fans are coming from, but it's not a fight. I'm not trying to argue. with anybody. No, no, no. That's the last thing I'm trying to spend time doing. <laughs> Ross, thank you so much, dude. Um, I can't wait to do this again next week. Of course, we'll continue to communicate as we always do, yeah, but man. brother, um, I love you, and let's do it again next week, man. Yeah, man. I love you too, homie. I will see you on Wednesday. Certainly, I will see you before, but I will see you on Wednesday. We'll get another one. That's right. This has been the Dope Patrol. All hard to pay with David. We'll see you on next week.